0: Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it.
1: That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger
2: than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't. Please excuse me. I deserve this. Thank you.
0: The game's up, Scarlet. There are no more bullets left in that gun. Oh,
1: come on. I'm not going to fall for that old trick.
0: It's not a trick. There was one shot at Mr. Body in the study, two for the chandelier, two at the lounge door, and one for the singing telegram.
1: Yeah, that's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. Uh Aha. See, there was only
0: one shot that got the chandelier.
1: That's one plus two plus one plus one.
0: Even if you were right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one. Not one plus two
1: plus one plus one. Okay, fine. One plus two plus plus what? Shut up. Listen, the point is that there's one more bullet left in this gun and guess who's going to get it. Probably us for trying to do that justice, which we really, I love us, but cannot. And I'm excited for that. And I'm really sad to hear that because no matter how we try to do it, again, we're never going to do it as well as our guest today. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> of course.
0: We're not going to do it as well as her or Tim Curry, but especially not as well as Leslie Ann Warren did.
1: Oh, my God. See, it's so fun. Like, You know, we've been interviewing these actresses, and this has been one that I've, as soon as we got the okay from her publicist, I was like, oh, my God, I guess we've got coming on. We've got Leslie Ann Warren. So excited.
0: Yeah, I have been a fan basically since I was a kid, and I saw Clue on Comedy Central way back in the day, I don't even know how old I was, but I was quite young and I was obsessed. It's one of those movies you can just watch over and over again and it never gets old. It really doesn't.
1: And, you know, I I do comedy. Everyone knows that by now. Um, the whole reason why I got into stand-up is back to when I was young and watching these amazing hilarious actors in Clue and it always stuck with me and I think that's why I think that's why my love of comedy comes from so deep is because it's tied to such a positive experience and Clue is it but not only that I mean the whole reason she's with us today is Victor Victoria hello Norma lock the door Pookie like all those amazing iconic
0: lines that she's got cannot wait she was already iconic with Clue but when I watched victor victoria leslie and warren became an absolute legend in my mind
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i gotta say you know no tea no shade to anyone we've had on including the guests that we've had on for the regular episodes but the reaction from leslie and warren even from people who don't really listen to our podcast like promoting it on facebook and even instagram do you know how many messages i've got about hey let me know when this comes out people are really excited for her She has a serious fan base. I hope she knows that. I do, too. We need more Leslie and more in everything because the people have spoken and the people want. Yes. But um,
0: we better not um, make them wait any longer.
1: No, no, no. Let's uh, let's bring her in with us now, shall we? Of course. All right. And without further ado, the whole reason why we are here today is due to this amazing, amazing woman who I have looked up to in comedy for many a years, which we will definitely get into a little bit later on in this episode, but she's here with us now. She is an Emmy nominee, a five-time Golden Globe nominee and one-time winner, and the whole reason why she's here today for her Oscar nomination for Victor Victoria. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Academy Award nominee, Leslie Ann Warren, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you, what a great introduction, thank you <laughs>
1: Of course, of course So it is crazy times we are all living in right now It is, We're recording this on oh April 6th Hopefully you're safe out there in Cali
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, we are We're, we're totally safe but it's, but it's as crazy as it can be I mean, it truly feels surreal And like a Twilight Zone episode And, you know, it's just it's horrible,
1: horrifying and horrible. Yeah. Well, at least if there's anything that'll get our minds off of this for a little while, it is celebrating you today. So, again, thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. on with us. Um, let's just go right into this. Uh, 1982, very big year for you. Okay. Um, you had an amazing little film come out called Victor Victoria. Um, yeah. it, it, it was... Larger Than Life, directed by Blake Edwards. Julie Andrews starred in it. You were there starring alongside of her. Let's, let's just talk about it right off the bat. How did you get involved in this? Was this one of those things where you got the script sent to you, or was it offered to you? Did you audition? How did it come, come to be?
2: Well, um, I was out and about doing some grocery shopping, and I had my hair in braids, and I had a baseball cap on, and a jumpsuit, because it was the 80s. <laughs> um, I got a call from my agent, um, who said, you need to go over to Blake Edwards office. He wants to meet you today. And I said, but I, I, I can't, I, I look, you know, this is what I'm wearing. This is how I said no You've got to go over today because he's leaving for London tomorrow. So I thought, okay, you know, and I put some lipstick on in the car and a little makeup and went over there and, um. We had this incredible sort of connection right off the bat. We were laughing and talking about how Julie and I both did Cinderella. Hers was in 1956, mine was in 19, I think 65, 64 maybe. And just you know, kind of talking about everything but the the, the script. And at the end of the, of, I don't know, it was maybe 15, 20 minutes. It wasn't long. He said, do you want to do this role? And I had not read it, and I didn't know anything about it, really. And I, but because Blake, I had seen Breakfast at Tiffany's, I swear, I think like 11 times. Mm. And all the Pink Panther movies and Days of Wine and Roses was a huge favorite of mine. And I, and I said to him, I will do anything you would like me to do. And he said, fabulous. And I, he sent me home the script. I read the script, and in the original script, she, my character wasn't blonde, she didn't have an accent, there was no musical number, but, again, because it was Blake, and I was such a huge admirer of his, um, and Julie, of course, and James Garner, and those people were already attached, I said, definitely yes, you know. And then they ran into a snafu with the... Um, the British acting board, I guess, you know, they had to have a certain number of British people in the cast or they could only bring a certain number of Americans over. So it took like, it took like maybe three weeks to a month to get it solidified, which was absolute torture for me, Mm. (laughs) but ultimately they did. And um, yeah. And then I had all these ideas about, this character and I and I literally called the next day and said you know can I talk to Blake he was he had gone to London and his producer Tony Adams was there and Tony said Blake can't come to the phone he's crazy busy but tell me your ideas and I, I told him my ideas about being blonde and having growing up on the lower east side and having this accent and what did he think about that and, and they they got back to me the next day or so and said so Blake loved the ideas and he sent his um, wig maker and his uh, production designer well, at the time she was the um, costume designer but she's become a very big production designer um, to my house from England and we sat in my bedroom and we sort of concocted this character so that's kind of a long long story of how it came about
1: no, we, we love ourselves yeah. a good story. Thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Which uh, historical figures or pop culture figures provided inspiration for how you created Norma?
2: You know, I, I worked with my coach, my acting coach, who I worked with a lot um, on many, many projects. And um, we decided that we wrote a sort of history for her. And we decided that she grew up in the Lower East Side and that she probably had a family of like 14 And had to yell all the time to be heard. And that she sat in, you know, her job after school was sitting in Woolworths, which was a five and dime, probably before your time, and looked at movie magazines all day long because she wanted to be a movie star. And so I picked Jean Harlow. Ah. And I copied her makeup and I copied, you know, she even had a, um, a beauty mark on her chin that was in the shape of a heart. And I did that. Um, yeah, I don't even know if people could see it, but we did all of that. And I sort of copied her physical, you know, her physicality um, for this for this character.
0: How would you describe Blake Edwards' directing style from an acting perspective as compared to other directors?
2: Well, I, I just have to preface it by saying I absolutely, totally adored him. I adored him. Um, He was very relaxed, but very specific. So he would come on the set with his viewfinder at the time and his cinematographer, and we were all supposed to be quiet on the set, and he would walk around the set sort of deciding where he wanted to shoot or what he wanted to shoot and how he wanted to shoot. And for instance, Jim Garner and I rehearsed the scene in The Bed Um, ourselves before he came onto the set and then he, Blake, said why don't you show me what you guys have come up with and so we did and very um, in in the most gentle way he changed pretty much everything we had done (laughs) and and it never made us feel awkward or ashamed of our choices or, you know, he was so um, he enjoyed he enjoyed what we did so much. He would fall off his chair laughing when I would do stuff. Um, sometimes, like, you could hear him. You know, we'd have to do it over. So he was a, he was very much a supporter of what you were doing. At the same time, if he had a different idea of the way it should go, he was very clear and specific about what he wanted, but never um, in a way that made you feel bad.
1: So you get the script, you mentioned there was no musical number, so Chicago, Illinois wasn't there, and you're allowed to craft Norma to really make her your own, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. With Blake then, when did Chicago, Illinois come into the picture? I mean, th- to me, this sounds like he was open almost to the idea of improv,
2: no? Oh, he, he loved improvisation. He loved it, and I I love it. I'm, I'm really good at it and I love it. And for instance, Julie doesn't like it at all. Mm -hmm. She doesn't do it. Um, But once he found out that I was comfortable with it, he would just keep the camera rolling all the time on whatever I was, whatever scene I was in so that I would just be forced to improvise. For instance, the, the scene at the end, when Julie comes in and she's sort of, and I'm like, what's going on here? What's going on? You know? And she comes toward me and toward me and toward me. And I say, lock the door. All of that was improvised. That was made up completely. You know, so so he loved the fact that I enjoyed doing that. Um, he also would have everybody come to dailies. And in those days, they had dailies on a huge movie screen in a movie, you know, in a screening room on, on the lot. We were shooting on, at Pinewood. And he would have the, the painters and the grips and the, and the props and All the actors and everybody came to Dailies because he wanted to see where the real laughs were, which is so smart, I thought. So he was sitting next to me or I was sitting next to Julie, whatever. I think I was sitting next to him one of the days. And he leaned over to me and he said to me, do you still sing? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, do you still dance? And I said, I do. And he said, well, I want to see more of Norma and I need to I need to give you something to do. Well, he flew in Henry Mancini and Leslie Brickus from LA and they proceeded to write that fabulous number. And we rehearsed it for about three weeks, um, you know, with, with, with the choreographer and myself and the dancers. And, and then we showed it to him and he flipped and loved it. And we shot it all basically in one day.
1: Well, I'm sorry. That was a one day shoot. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he had three three or four cameras going. You know, we had a lot of cameras going. So, yeah.
0: Would you say the improv helped you understand Norma deeper? Did you find moments in the improv to flesh out the character?
2: You know, I think it was the reverse, to be truthful. I I had done Mm. such an in-depth history of Norma and made up such a, you know, a life for her, separate from what was on the page, um, that that's what propelled me to authentically improvise in character because i'd already knew her and how she would respond at any given moment
1: so you shoot the movie you it comes out i now correct me if i'm wrong here i'm going off of a you know the internet the internet's not always true I heard, or I read that you weren't too happy with your performance when it first came out. It was too over the top. (laughs) Is that true?
2: Well, I was was at a screening at Blake's house, Mm -hmm. Blake and Julie, and it was just the actors. And everybody was laughing uproariously, And I was totally overwhelmed. I thought, oh, my God, nobody's going to hire me again. This is way too big. This is way too much. I can't believe that I did this, you know. excuse me. And I got, after the screening, Blake said, well, Leslie, what do you think? Because everybody was really laughing. And I said, you know, can I just tell you tomorrow? Can I just like, I need to think about this. Well, I went into my car and I cried for like four hours. I was so mortified. I thought it was really, I thought it was the end of my career. And of course it was the total opposite, you know, but it took, it took till, um, I think the. Screening at the Schubert Theater was the first public screening, which happened very quickly after the screening at Blake's house. And I went with my agent, again, Ron Meyer, um, who went on to be president of Universal, but he was president of CAA at the time, and he was my agent. And he he and I went to the screening, and it was a, an incredible experience hearing the swell of laughter um, at what I was doing up there on that screen, and then the uh, the spontaneous applause after the number, which was, you know, it was so so fulfilling.
0: So, how did you approach acting opposite someone as legendary as Julie Andrews? Were you nervous at all?
2: Yes, I was nervous, but she's so fabulous as a person. She's so down-to-earth. I know you've probably heard this a million times in other interviews, but she really is down-to-earth, and she loves to laugh, and she's she's without any artifice, and she's so warm that, you know, really quickly, I would say, really within the first day, I felt, you know, I was comfortable in my character with her, and then, you know, I still, off, when we weren't acting, I still had this sort of, that I was you know, visiting the queen. I mean, she's still, she's so, you know, she's like royalty in in my book. And, um, but uh, but when we were acting together, you know, it was seamless really.
0: That's great. Uh, Is there anything that you learned from her that you've taken from role to role over the years?
2: You know, I think the thing that we share is that we both came from musical theater and we both had the discipline of musical theater. And so I I, I resonated with her professionalism, um, and I identify myself in that way as being a real professional and someone who is prepared and works really hard, and so does she. And, um, you know, I, I think that... that if anything, it was validating my way of, of of working that I that I continue to reflect on when and when it when it comes up.
1: So, you have the screening at Blake's, not so happy. Then you have the screening at the Schubert Theater. People love it. People love you. It's mm-hmm. a reassurance for you. When is the time, as an actor, when your film comes out then, when do you start hearing things like, oh, Golden Globe and Oscar buzz, here it is? I mean, w- what's the process of that, pretty much? I mean, I'm sure uh, mentally it's like, uh, are you sure? Me, really? But, I mean, how does that work?
2: You know, back then, I think it's a very different than now. Um, because there was no internet. <clears throat> there was no social media. So... It was really, I was off doing another movie, and it was it was when the campaign. It was really MGM that did the campaign for me, um, in concert with my publicist at the time, but largely it was MGM putting out a lot of ads, and you know, um, but I sort of didn't, I didn't really ever consider seriously that this would happen to me for Mm -hmm. me. I just didn't. It wasn't that I was negative about it. I just didn't, I I just didn't think it was something that would happen. So I loved the ads and I, you know, thought they were great because the quotes were fantastic. (laughs) And I was excited about the quotes and what people were saying and, you know, the, the, the energy that MGM was putting behind me, um, and then I went off to do this movie, and it was a complete and utter shock, utter shock, when I when I was called that I got nominated.
1: So, the shock sets in, you realize what just happened, 1982 was a pretty, um, I don't know if... Set year is what I want to say because I, I I wasn't around for it, but I do you know I've done my homework on it and everyone knew going into it you know this is the night of Ben Kingsley and Meryl Streep. What's it like as the nominee, kind of going into your first Academy Awards as as, as a nominee or or just going in general? I mean, are you are you nervous or is it something you just kind of want to get over with really quick? I mean, what is take us through that? What it's like. Mm-hmm.
2: No, it's one of the it was one of the most exciting evenings of my life. you know, it mm-hmm. was thrilling and all of it, you know and and te- terrifying but in a great way, if that's mm-hmm. <laughs> if that could be understood. it was it was I had my son with me and the man that I was with at the time, and um, it was just and to be a part of that, world and to be a part of that community and to be acknowledged in that way it was phenomenal and i remember when they didn't say my name my son was more upset than i was i was you know he was he was really wanting me to win but i was sitting behind um, i hear some dogs do you need to get that <laughs> Oh, there's
0: dogs barking outside my window
2: <laughs> okay um I was sitting, I think, behind or in front of Sidney Pollack and Dustin Hoffman, and they didn't win either. And, you know, it's, of course there's disappointment, but it's, but it's so much greater to be accepted into that um, very exclusive club of, of actors. that It was just one of the highlights of my life.
1: Mm-hmm. So a, a, a thing that always kind of makes me a little curious is then what happens to an actor's career post-nomination. Um, there was a pretty in, uh, infamous interview that Taraji P. Henson did uh, the year after she was nominated for Curious Case of Benjamin Button, where I believe she was on The View, and she said, despite the Oscar nomination, I got zero offers in Hollywood. She had to still audition and fight for every role that she got. Do you? I know it was definitely different back then too. But are you fielded with offers after that? Do you still have to fight? I mean, what what do you have to do?
2: Um, there was a whole length of time prior to, to Victor Victoria, Victor Victoria, and after that, I didn't audition. I didn't audition for Victor Victoria, as I told you. You know, mm. um, so there were many movies that I did not audition for, television shows, etc. I remember when I won the Golden Globe for um, 79 Park Avenue, I did not get an offer for like nine months, Um, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, and I won for best actress. It was really weird. But, um, you know, what's happened in, in the business as far as, you know, my perspective and people I know and talk to and, you know, my colleagues is that in the last, I would say, maybe 10 years or something like that, everybody seems to have to audition for everything. So it's, 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 maybe, it's more, maybe it's more like 15 years, but I, 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 I think, you know, it's so that was a huge change for me because most of my work of my life I did not have to audition for. So that's been a, a giant change in the business. And I don't like it, you know, I liked it better before, but um, Mm -hmm. that's the way it goes. You know, that's how it's been sort of evolving. Um, I wouldn't say that it, you know, after Victor Victoria, I continued to get lots of offers for different things, you know. So it happened more later in the business that had nothing really to do with getting nominated or having that acclaim or whatever
0: a few years after you do Victor Victoria, you uh, show up in a little movie called Clue, which is a favorite of both of us.
2: And how did
0: that come about?
2: That was an offer. Um, I was actually, um, I was on vacation with my my son and my mom and some friends and we were in Greece and um, I got a call. And they initially they they asked me if I wanted to do um well initially they asked me if I wanted to do Miss Scarlet and I did and then um Carrie Fisher was supposed to do one of the other roles and then she dropped out and then they called me and they said would you prefer to do said, whichever role that she dropped out I can't remember and I was like no I want to do Miss Scarlet so yeah that's how that happened. And then. You know, I think it was a couple of months after I came back from from Greece that we that we shot it.
0: So your costume from Clue, I'm going to say, is pretty iconic. Mm. And <laughs> I'm wondering how involved how involved were you in the crafting of the look of Miss Scarlet?
2: You know, not at all. <laughs> I really wasn't. I mean, this was Michael Kaplan. He did the He did the costumes. He did a brilliant job. He showed me sketches. I fell in love with the sketches immediately. I had to have two dresses made because one of the dresses had to have a a hidden zipper so that I could um, release it and run with the rest of the cast because it was so ridiculously tight. Um, But I I loved it. I loved the color. I loved everything about it. I mean, he designed it so that it always looked like it was about to fall off you know, which was so great, um, but it was constructed. I mean, there was no way that was going to happen. It was, we had, we even had the undergarments from the period, you know. It was so great. He's brilliant.
1: Um, I am going to have to fanboy out a little bit on when it comes to the Clue conversation. I was nine years old at a Best Buy when I saw a VHS tape of Clue the board game. Got it, had my mom get it for me, fell in love loved ever since um miss scarlet mrs white miss peacock became legend in their own right not only as characters but by the women who played them so i guess my biggest question okay. is that you had eileen brennan and the hilarious madeline Kahn on set what type right. that i mean that whole film feels very improv as a, a lover of comedy so i mean honestly i think my fan question for that one is how do you keep a straight face acting opposite those two because you did really good.
2: We did not. We drove the director, Jonathan Lynn completely crazy because we were hysterically laughing at each other's stuff. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, we were just, you know, we'd fall apart laughing. I mean, first of all, I mean, everybody in that cast is fabulous, but Madeline Kahn, oh, my God, oh, my God. She's so brilliant and so unique, you know, such a unique comic sensibility, but everybody, I mean, Colleen Camp, I mean, we just laughed. You know, Martin Lowe, we got on to do so many other things together, but it was almost impossible, and we didn't pull it off. We just laughed until, until we couldn't, you know, until he got some out of us, we had to keep it together. But it was hard, really hard. And it wasn't improvised. There was nothing that was improvised, really. I mean, within our own characterizations, we created our own sort of characters but there was no nothing no dialogue that was improvised on that
0: did you have a lot of time before the production um, started shooting to rehearse
2: no what we did though was jonathan had all of us come to a screening of his girl friday with Cary grant and Rosalind russell because he wanted us to understand the tempo of that kind of time and that kind of mo- movie you know that's very quick sort of you know, talking really quickly and getting out the, you know, having that sort of jaunty, defensive <laughs> kind of behavior, and um, so we all went to the screening and then and then on set. We had a good amount of rehearsal. We had because a lot of it was so physically. You know, we had to you know run and carry on a blue streak, and so we had a lot of rehearsal on set. But um, even and. You know, even the dining room sequence, which is, you know, which was hard to shoot because there was so much coverage because we were all there at the same time. But that's kind of how it was through a lot of the movie. So, you know, you can imagine how difficult it was for Jonathan Lynn, the director, because he had, it was like herding cats. I mean, we were, <laughs> we were out of control.
0: Did you learn any lessons or... um Anything on this movie that um, struck you, that changed you as a performer in any way?
2: Um, I, don't, I don't know if anything changed me as a performer. I mean, it, it allowed me to do um, a particular kind of comedy that I really had a great time doing and wasn't, hadn't really been given that, that, that opportunity before. Um, sort of acerbic and tough and, you know, sexy and, you know, all these sort of qualities that Scarlett or Minus Scarlett had. And that was really um, exciting for me to explore and, and to create.
1: So you do or you do Victor Victoria the film, then you do Clue the film, mm-hmm. and then we get to the mid-90s where it kind of circles back for you. Um, Victor Victoria becomes a Broadway musical, but you're not in it this right. time. What happened there?
2: Well, Blake asked me mm-hmm. to it, and I, was, um, I had two thoughts about that. And one was that I had already created Norma to such a degree that mm-hmm. I didn't want to do anything that would diminish what I had created on screen. I felt very sure about that. You know, I did not want to, because sometimes translating something from the movie to it, or the stage or vice versa, something is lost. And I didn't want to lose anything from that, you know, really iconic performance for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondarily, I was getting ready to do a Broadway show called Dream um, that was about Johnny, a review of Johnny Mercer's music from the 20s to the 60s. And I was really excited to be going to do that. It was all dancing and singing. So that's what, that's what I chose to do. And I wasn't sorry. I didn't regret any of it.
1: No, for sure. I mean, I I feel like as a performer, there are moments where you might be like, what could have been? But if you are that determined on how well you did, which you did amazing in the film, I think that's like a a good job. Like you knew that there was, you know, You could not improve because it was already done well enough.
2: No, yeah, and there was so much in the film that had to do with Mm close-ups. You know what I'm saying? Like like, there was so much that worked because you got to really see the faces, and you know there's a whole different dynamic um, um, on stage. So I I just felt like I, I wanted her to stay intact for me.
1: And speaking of Norma, if I may ask, would you say pookie for us?
2: Sure. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people asked me to do this. All right. Pookie.
1: <laughs> that is amazing. The reason I asked you to do that is because I remember seeing a couple years ago, you did an, a hilarious interview with Coco uh, Peru.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And yeah. she had asked you also to say it, and then you told an amazing story about where Pookie came yeah. from. So, for the people who haven't seen that interview, would you share that info with them?
2: Sure. <laughs> okay, so my acting coach and I, Marina, her name is Marina. Um, we came up with the with the idea that every time she called Pookie, she was really calling King, Jimmy Garner's character. She was calling King's penis to come over and, you know, be with her. So that's what that was about.
1: That is the greatest little tidbit of like, oh, this is how we came up with that.
2: And I didn't tell anybody, and I certainly didn't tell Blake. Um, It was my little secret, but boy, did it, it gave it such another level.
1: (laughs) You know, it is wonderful on that. Um, yeah, I remember seeing that interview and I was like, oh, I, should I bring this up? I'm like, I'm going to bring it up just in case. Like I said, we can always fix it in post, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to ask her to see if she'll do it. So thank you so much for that.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> You're
0: welcome. I have a, two more questions for you before we get yeah. to our listener questions. What is a performance or project of yours that you wish more people talked about today?
2: Hmm. Well, I did a movie recently. Well, not recently, but about a year ago. um, But it came out more recently called Three Days of Dad with Brian Vanahy and J.K. Simmons and a whole list of great character actors. And it's really, I'm so proud of my performance in it. And I got, you know, some very beautiful reviews. But because of the nature of independent films, which this was, it only got to play in the theater for, I think, two weeks, and then it went to streaming. And, you know, that's really sad. And I, I am so sorry that, that it didn't have, you know, a greater life because um, I'm so proud of it. I did have the Academy actually gave a screening of it at, their, at the Academy. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a Q and A on stage with the director and the cinematographer, and that was fantastic. And it was like a dream. But um, because of the nature of the way movie theaters are today, you know, they, these small films don't generally last. So that was one. And then there, I did another um, miniseries years ago that I am so extraordinarily proud of. It's called Evergreen, and um, it was a six-hour, I think six-hour miniseries and although it did really really well at the time it it didn't have the same kind of lasting power that say 79 park avenue or some of the other ones that i've done you know um i did some amazing miniseries in those days when they were making them i did another one called dual land but um i would say that those are the the ones that i most um that i most wish had more of a Presence, if you will.
0: I'll definitely have to look those up myself. Yeah. Um, so, what can we expect down the line from Leslie and Warren? Do you have anything to promote that um, our listeners should be on the lookout for?
2: You know, I'm. It, it's so such a weird time right now because of obviously what we're all going through in the world. But um, prior to this, I've, I have a, I have a script that I'm producing with. Bobby Moresco, who won the, co, won the Academy Award twice for co-writing Crash and Million Dollar Baby. And the script that he supervised, and uh, it's a you know, very relevant, wonderful story, uh, tragic and true, and true story. So we're hopefully going to try to make that movie. Um, and let's see, I'm on an episode of Broke on the CBS sitcom that's coming... It's, I guess, had its premiere last week and did very, very well. So I don't, my episode, I think is coming on April 23rd. And then um, I've been doing these shows around the country, although because of this, this, this virus, um, the theaters are obviously not booking them, the shows, any of the shows, until we figure out what's going on, because obviously large crowds are not going to be gathering. But I've been doing that for the last couple of years. It's called Dance to the Movies, and I had a couple of dates that were supposed to come up, but they've been canceled because of the virus. Um and that's a compilation of well, it's dancers from So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars, and um, two singers from American Idol, and and we do these these um, numbers from iconic movie musicals, and it's just great. I mean, we played for with the Boston Pops, and we played in Ontario for. 4,000 people. And, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's really fun and it's exciting. And I hope that it gets resurrected somewhere down the line. And then I was supposed to be um, doing a, a recurring role on a new, on a, not a new series, a series that's been on, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's like everything is so up in the air.
1: Um, but well, best of yeah. luck with that for sure. Thank you. Um Thank you. We always end our interviews with a few listener questions. So these were some that we got from our Twitter feed. Um, the first one is from Justin Priest. Uh, I love her performance as Cinderella. Any fun stories to share mm. from the TV movie, and what was it like working with Celeste Holm? Yeah,
2: that was obviously my. You know, it's it's something that is so dear to my to my heart because it was. Um, not only was it an incredible experience to work with Celeste Holm and Ginger Rogers and um, Walter Pidgeon and you know it was just it was jo Van Fleet it was a dream come true for me I was only 18 years old um, I would say a funny story is that um, I had such a an identification with the character and I was we were shooting in my own little corner and I was singing and you know, doing a movement, and the director kept asking for another take, and it was like so many takes, and I didn't understand why, and finally he came down from the booth, and he said, "Um, sweetheart, you're crying so much, we can't understand the words, (laughs) (laughs) And, and it was true, because I was so deeply in, you know, I was so connected to that, to that, character and what she was going through and how she was feeling and I couldn't stop crying and so we had to finally do it without my tears but um the whole thing was a glorious experience
1: um coming all the way from Germany we have a question from Fritz and the Oscars out of all your performances you've ever done what is your number one favorite
2: sadly I don't have a number one favorite and that's the truth because so many of these Opportunities have given me so much in my life, um, professionally and personally. So I would say that some of my favorites are Cinderella, Clue, Victor Victoria, even this movie, Three Days with Dad. But then there's Will and Grace and um, the miniseries I've been telling you about. You know, um, Choose Me is one of my highlights. It's a film I did with Alan Rudolph. And Keith Carradine and um, um, Ray Don Chong, and a whole bunch of wonderful people. And, you know, that was incredible. That was my first independent film, so to speak, but it broke box office records at the Royal Theater here in LA. It played for six months. So I've had so many, so many incredible experiences, a couple of bad ones, but so many incredible experiences. And those, you know, those have shaped my life.
1: And then finally, uh, we have, which I, this is the one that I've been really looking forward to hearing about too, um, from Andrew Carden, what are Leslie's memories of working alongside Oscar winning legends, Gree Garson and Geraldine Page in The Happiest Millionaire?
2: You know, that, in, I'm smiling because that was incredible. Again, I was probably 18 and a half, <laughs> I was just, yeah, turning 19 maybe, and, and, me to have Greer Garson play my mother, and Fred McMurray play my dad, and um, Geraldine Page played John Davidson's mother, whom I'm having this romance with, it was, and to honestly to be picked by Walt Disney um, after a very intense screen test, um, where I had to really rehearse for about a week on the musical numbers and dancing and the acting and. It was, it was, you know, there were no words for how honored and how blessed I felt and how excited I was. And and I was already a member of the Actors Studio, so to be working with Geraldine Page, who is like, you know, is an Actors Studio legend and an icon, and then to have Greg Garson, play my mom, who is a movie star that I looked up to always and Fred McMurray was just the angel of all time. He was so loving and so warm and so paternal and I made me feel so comfortable because it was very scary. I mean, I was the lead in that movie and, and, and I was scared, pretty scared to death. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Leslie, and I cannot thank you in words for doing this with us today not only as Brandon and I have made this amazing show become a thing but seriously as a fan of yours since I was nine years old due to Clue and then obviously Victor Victoria and everything else you've done in between I just thank you so much
0: seriously
2: Ah, oh, thank you well thank you thank yeah. you you're so welcome <laughs>
0: Yeah, thank you again. Uh, as Joey said, um, I've also been a fan of you since Clue. saw you at a very young age, and it's always been a favorite of mine. So speaking with you today has been an absolute pleasure, and we thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much.
0: <laughs> All
1: right, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard Leslie and Warren today. Thank you again so much for coming on. And uh, Brandon, anything else before mm-hmm. we sign off?
0: Um,
1: not, nothing else that I can say. I'm, I'm lost for words right now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, folks, we will thank talk you. to you later. that was wonderful (laughs) i am so elated right now it's funny that i know we've said this each time but getting to have these conversations is really fulfilling and a lot of fun not only because yes it takes care of like you know us as fans and people listening but if anything, between Leslie Ann and Penelope and Meg, it really just shows to everybody these are just people who do jobs that stick with us and comfort us, and we love them for their work, and fuck
0: yeah, rock on. <laughs> and it sounds so silly, but she is so nice. Like mm-hmm. We've done a few of these interviews now, um, and I'm always a little bit nervous that someone that we interview is going to be um, kind of mean or off-putting, but that has not happened at all. And Leslie Ann Warren is a gem. I love her even more now than I did before. Mm-hmm. And it was funny, too, because it really, like,
1: while she was speaking, I was like, God, you know what her voice would be really good for, too, is obviously animation work. But if, like, we if somehow Leslie Ann Warren were to do, like, an ASMR page on YouTube, like... Her voice is so soothing. Yes. She has a very calming voice. Which is funny because if you've only ever seen her as Norma in Victor Victoria, you would never think. Mm-hmm. So, That's how talented she is. Seriously. I've said it before. I think I talked about it when we did our Jennifer Tilly episode in 94. I was like, you have to be such a great actress to pull off these roles because... That's how good you have to be that you have to come off as like the bad actress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she is amazing. And I'll tell you what, she seemed very passionate about that film three days with dad. I know what I'm going to
0: watch tonight. Yeah. Amazon prime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to find three days with dad. Also, if I can get my hands on evergreen, the mini series from the eighties that she mentioned. I love hearing about these little, these little diamonds in the rough that seem to get lost, but they deserve their their, their attention, yeah. their uh, moment in the spotlight. I'm glad she was able to shed some light on some work that she did that other people ought to uh, check out. For sure, for sure.
1: Whew, well, this has been a fun one. Um, thank you so much again, Leslie Ann Warren. You are an amazing American treasure. And, uh, yeah, if, if, if every, when everything is all done, people, and she has that show she was talking about on the stage that's coming to your area, go see it. And you know what? Tell her the Academy Queens sent you. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right, folks. Well, without further ado, I am Joey Gentile. And I'm Brandon Stanek. And this has been Academy Queens Conversations with Leslie Ann Warren. See you guys. Bye.